The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The victory horns are sounding following the UFC's latest pay-per-view offering. And they're sounding for two of the individuals you see in this photo right there. One, Charles Oliveira after a sensational performance in the co-main event. The other, and for the final time, they sound for Amanda Nunes, the now former two-division champion. She announced her retirement following a dominant performance in the main event against Irene Aldana, and we are here to react to all of what happened at UFC 289 just a few hours ago. Thank you for joining us for the UFC 289 post-fight show. We're live on the YouTube channel. I am Mike Heck. Joining me as always, Mr. No Gray Area, off of a pay-per-view event, Mr. Jed Mishu. Hello, Jed. Did you enjoy UFC 289 tonight? It was fine. These victory horns are in fire, though, baby. Let's go. They are fire. Uh, we, we we turned you we turned your last name into a verb, uh, actually oh. more of a noun on uh, on the watch party because in what way? Well, we were get, we were placed. Uh, we did a bunch of chat bets. Uh, someone the, the the chat bet suggested Nate Landwehr by knockout, and we decided to put five dollars down I was like, on that as the chat bet, and we called it a machunit. A five dollar oh, wager is a machine. I, I mean that that is in fact a machine at this juncture. So <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. I mean, it's not gonna be for long because you did chat bets. Let me just tell you the chat GPT bet is rolling in dough, just <laughs> continues to dominate. But we're not here for that. We'll talk about that on No Bets Bar later this week. We got other stuff to talk about, as opposed to the AI overlords knowing that Mark Andre Burial was gonna dominate Eric Anders. But you know, neither here nor there. Incredible and flyweight under as well. We'll talk about that on No Bet Spart, I'm sure, as well. RIP, baby. It was a good run. Good run. <laughs> it was a good run. Uh, and it, in fact, was a, a, a tremendous run for Amanda Nunez. Her career is over. She dominated Arini Aldana. This was a bell to bell, just absolute dominant performance. Arena just didn't really, she couldn't really get going. She looked a little timid early on, and Amanda took advantage of that. We thought maybe there'd be a lot more grappling in this fight, but Amanda just kind of used takedowns as a, hey, I could do this to you anytime I want, and then just beat her up on the feet. And then got the two belts, got the gloves cut off, gloves got dropped in the octagon, two belts got dropped in the octagon, she announced her retirement. This is not really a surprise to you, Jed Bishu, I, I would assume, right? Not at all. I think I said the 
I said that I believe that this was the most likely outcome. Uh, I forget what I was answering it on. It was something. It was like, hey, is Amanda going to retire uh, if she loses? And I was like, no. She's going to retire if she wins. If she loses, she probably won't. She will probably at least feel some sort of compulsion to come back and get the belt. But if she wins, she definitely retires. What the hell else is she going to do? She's 35. She sort of kind of talked around it for a while. And there's no, there are no more worlds to conquer. So why keep doing it? Yes, you can keep doing it for the money, but at some point, you just have enough money. And I'm not saying Amanda Nunes got paid enough money in her career. She should have made more, but she is certainly financially well off. She is financially set for the remainder of her days. And why not? Like, I don't. This is this will be a slight tangent. But whenever people are like, "What would you do if you won the lotto?" Nothing, mother. I would quit everything because I'm I'm set. I don't have to have a job. I don't have to go wake up and train if I don't want to do that. I don't have to do shit. I can just hang. I can do whatever I want. That's where she's at. She is 35 years old, can be retired and never work a day in her life again. Like that's the dream. She gets to live the dream with her family. Of course she's retiring. She's no dummy. And the rest of you who'd sit here and be like, I would go whoop up on Juliana Pena or Raquel Pennington again for an extra 800 grand. Your marks, your mark ass marks, like <laughs> spend time with your loved ones, do other things. Money is not the only thing out there. And she got plenty of it. Congratulations to her. You won the game. You did it. Like three fighters have ever won the game. Amanda Nunes, you're one of them. Right off into your sunset. Do your dance the whole time. As a man who is the co-host of MMA Fighting's flagship gambling show, I'm sure you saw a lot of underdog love for Irene Aldana throughout the week. In fact, I picked Irene Aldana and I actually thought like, I actually thought my, my, the way I laid it out could have happened the way the fight was progressing. Cause I thought Amanda Nunes is going to win the first three rounds. Clearly maybe Aldana would like land a shot in the third and then the fourth, like she would get the, the pep talk and then get rolling and maybe knock her out in the fourth. But Amanda Nunes wasn't having any of that. Did what, what was like? I guess your biggest takeaway from this fight, whether it's on the Aldana side, whether it's on the Nunez side, she broke all of her striking records in the fight, most significant strike she's ever landed in a UFC fight. She broke that tonight. She just beat the hell out of Irene Aldana. But what, what would you say was your biggest takeaway from the actual fight? It's a really good question, Mike. Um, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give you two because I'm not sure which one I th- is like the is bigger, but. Very briefly, the f- the first is Amanda Nunez. She said at the post-fight presser, and I'm going to paraphrase on the exact quote of, man, if I stuck around, I'd just run all these women again. I'm only getting better. And Casey and I were talking about it off air. I think that's true because, like, I'll be honest. I don't think Amanda Nunez is a great fighter. Like, she's a great fighter because of what she's accomplished and what she can do in a cage, but she is not, like, a technical innovator. She is not somebody who's like, oh, I need to learn from how she approaches the game because she is so far advanced of people. She's not. Julia Pena gave her hell by throwing a dipping jab and she just like couldn't figure it out. She is not this like technical wizard. She is just a physical monster with some technical background and a complete well-roundedness in a division that is still limited. So she can just take Jermaine Durand to me down a bunch and beat her that way. She can just throw big power shots on the feed and overwhelm, you know, Chris Cyborg, whoever. So uh, she's not like this genius fighter, but you're seeing every time out, she's showing more layers. She is developing continually. Like nobody's going to catch her. So if she did come back, what's Raquel Pennington's not going to do anything to her because at the base of it, she has the trump card of just being the best athlete and the most physical force in women's MMA. And then she is developing. So that's a huge takeaway for me because watching the way she approached this fight, I thought was really, really smart. And the other side of that is for as good and as smart as her approach was to this fight of, I'm going to work a, work a straight jab, knock it out over my skis, you know, uh, strike when I want to, show the takedown make sure that you are aware of it to kind of offset you. And then as the fight gets later and as Mike, you know, as, as you thought, maybe as Irene Aldana gets a little more desperate, starts throwing more caution to the wind, then I'll just go to the wrestling. I won't burn my gas tank shooting takedowns early. I'll wait until later. And then they're going to come a little easier and they're going to come at much more backbreaking critical moments. And you saw that, like I thought it was a really good technical idea from her all the way down. 
as good as that was, I have no fucking clue what Arena Aldana was doing that fight. And some of it, you know, the commentary booth attributed it to being starstruck. Uh, maybe she just got tagged pretty early and the power coming back at her really offset her. But I don't have the stats in front of me. I should pull them up before I can make this point, but the point will come across anyway. She threw like seven punches in the whole fight. Like the the statistical difference between them, when John Anik said, Mena Nunes has landed more strikes than Arena Aldana has thrown. That's the ball game right there. Like, you are not winning a fight where that is a reality. And if, yes, some of that can be, and certainly is, that Amanda Nunes got you off your game and sort of took away the things you want to do. But at a at a baseline level, when your coaches are are begging you in the corner, like, hey, you got to do something like I, I can't give you a technical breakdown of what to do. You just got to go fighter. This is your only chance and you are not doing anything. Rubber meets the road. You got to do it, man. Like, yes, you have a high likelihood of going out on your shield and just getting wailed on. And that sucks, but that's, that's your choice. You can either go out and get wailed on, on your shield and maybe, maybe make something happen. Maybe Juliana Payne your way into something, or you can just kind of get torn apart for 25 minutes. And at at some level, Irene Aldana consented to that. She said, you know what? I'm." She did not try to force the issue with the level of desperation she needed, certainly down the stretch. And a lot of it is that Amanda Nunes took that away from her. But at some point, at some level of that, you just got to say, no, I'm going to do this. And she never did. And so I don't know what their plan was going into it. If that was it, it was awful. And if it wasn't, her inability to adjust to make a fight of it was also deeply concerning. Yeah, Aldana landed like one pretty clean counter in the first round, and that really was, good shot. Yeah, and that was really it. We she got credited for fifty-seven total strikes, forty-one significant strikes. Amanda Nunes outlanded her significantly, according to UFC stats, which are kind of unofficial, but by over 100 significant strikes, almost 150 regular strikes. I mean, this is just straight-up dominance. I, I don't even think Aldana landed nearly as many shots as she's getting credit for, but just a dominant performance from Amanda Nunes, and she rides off into the sunset with statistically one of her more complete wins and just one of her all-around great performances. And I think you're right. I think technically she's getting better. She's She was getting better, I guess. And th- just adding to her game and doing different things. Like she had Aldana just on skates all night. The feints were incredible. Like there were, there were like two or three feints in the fight where Aldana almost fell over. Just biting She reacted so much to them. It was bad. It was, it was very wild. Bad. So now the question... There's two questions that kind of come out of this one. Uh, one, we'll just talk about we'll just talk about Amanda Nunes because she deserves a little praise, and she's going to get a lot more chatter this week. There's no doubt about that. Is she the greatest women's fighter of all time? And I understand that MMA is a baby, and women's MMA, especially in the UFC, is even more of a baby. So we are very early on into this. So I understand like that whole piece of well, maybe it's too early to determine a goat. Like I get that argument that Helwani put on the table, but as of right now, is Amanda Nunes the greatest women's fighter we've ever seen? One, that's just an awful argument. God love you, Ariel. Uh, nothing but respect. It's a, it's just an absurdly bad argument. Shaheen Alshadi in the, in the preview show explained it adequately. If we invent a sport tomorrow and you're better at it than I am, Mike, you're the GOAT. Because greatest just means the best. It's not that hard. It doesn't matter if it's been a month or 300 years. Maybe that means that the the term is less significant than the GOAT in baseball. But it also means it's actually should be much easier to establish because greatness is hard to quantify across generations. Like you, You're never going to answer if Michael Jordan or LeBron James is better because it just can't do it or like it, it's too broad a gap women's mma doesn't really have that like it's i mean mma in, in general you could argue doesn't have it women's mma is you know 15 20 years old i don't i do not think it's a reasonable argument for anyone to say it's not amanda nunes and this is coming from arguably the biggest valentina shevchenko fan in the world like i understand what casey is trying to say and he can come on and defend and we can get down this ramp about chris cyborg because she's 
arguably and probably truly a more impactful or significant figure in MMA historically than Amanda Nunes. The quality of competition, the level of dominance is not, it's not comparable. It, there, there is nobody who has more consistently dominated quality opposition over a longer period of time. Yes, she has the poor start, you know, some of the poor performances early, others don't. It, it is just sort of an overwhelming argument in favor of Amanda Nunes at this point. Lots of other women are worthy to be on that Rushmore. Cyborg, Ronda Rousey. I know a bunch of people be like, Ronda Rousey doesn't deserve it. Ronda Rousey's run was incredible. You want to end Chick? Like there are a lot of other good fighters. At some point, you just like you just can't fight the rising of the tide. It is just there's too much in favor of her. And I'm not saying she'll hold it forever. Who knows what's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years? Certainly, I would say that there is a huge opportunity for more people to come along in the future and take it from her because women's MMA is pretty nascent. It is still developing. Arguably, we haven't really seen any like truly great fighters in the general term of that as far as you know technical ability mixed with all these other factors. But what we have seen, to me, it is extremely clear that it's Amanda Nunes is the GOAT. I agree. I actually, I'll be interested when Casey comes on, I'll be interested to get his thoughts on this because one thing he said on the people's pre-fight show earlier was if she goes out there and, and dominates Irene Aldana, he think he thought his, his stance on, in this argument and this discussion might change a little bit. So I'm interested to hear what he has to say a little bit later. She on. certainly and did other, that. Yeah. She and the other question, and the other question that comes out of this is we don't have a champion now. And on top of that, we don't really have a division right now. I mean, we have fighters there, but we only have like a dozen of them. And then some newcomers who haven't even debuted yet. And then like the bottom three of the top 15 that are currently ranked in the division aren't even bantamweights. Like Norma Dumont That's is awesome. not a bantamweight. Chelsea Chandler is not a bantamweight. It's just very, very jo- strange. Josiane Nunes isn't really a bantamweight. <laughs> awesome. She's not really a bantamweight either. So we have obviously Juliana Pena, who is originally supposed to get this fight. and. We knew the tweet was coming that, you know, I'll take it as a compliment. I'll just leave that for what it was. We have Raquel Pennington, who is the backup fighter. Seems pretty clear that that would be the fight to make for the vacant title. But we understand how the UFC feels about Holly Holm. They've given her a million title shots. And now that Amanda Nunes is out of the picture, she's getting ready to fight Myra Buena Silva in about a month's time in a main event. Maybe she finds her way in there. Maybe, you know, Silva wins. She finds her way in there. So what do we do now? Do we... Do you think it's just automatically Pena Pennington or maybe Jed? And I think I already know how you're going to respond to this. Maybe the UFC can have a little fun with this and do a tournament. We know they're not gonna, but what's going to happen? So they actually should just burn this division to the ground. That's what they should do. They're (laughs) definitely not going to do that. Uh, I think it would honestly be a total fitting and acceptable end to be like, Amanda retires as the GOAT and owns both of these divisions are removed. We can still put on women's fights above 125 pounds, but they're not for anything. And that's fine Um, because it's not like they're for anything now. (laughs) It just is what it is. They're not going to do that, and they're not going to do the tournament, which I actually think would be the most meritocratic way to solve this. Instead, they're going to go for option C, which is probably, it's fine. Uh, Doing Pena, uh, Pennington makes the most sense in the way that they do business. I would strongly argue about uh, Holly Holmes' ranking and potentially should be above Juliana Pena, uh, who isn't very good at fist fighting. Um, But she's not, that's where it is. And they... They just should do one versus two. That's what you should always do if your champion vacates. If you're not going to do a tournament for it, number one guy fights number two guy, and that guy gets to be the champion. And it's just not that hard to make that happen. This one is the most obvious, and that is going to be, I God hope that doesn't headline a pay-per-view because that fight is not a fight that needs to headline a pay-per-view. So... But it's totally fine title, and the winner of you know Holly Holm, Mar Buena Silva can fight the winner of that, and it'll be sort of an ersatz championship, uh, and that'll work too. A tournament, sorry, not an ersatz championship. You know what would be a great spot for that fight? And it all depends on timing. When they do the Ultimate Fighter finale. Like if they do an actual Ultimate Fighter finale, that'd be a great main event. Like do it for the title. The, Dana thought like, those two would fight in the finale anyways. And it didn't end up happening when they were both on that season to, 
of the 135ers to kind of build up that division. And there's a history there. Raquel Pennington does not have a lot of kind things to say about Juliana Pena. I would guess Juliana Pena doesn't have a lot of kind does, things to say about Raquel Pennington. Does anyone have kind things to say about Juliana Pena? Does, is there a single soul in MMA who's like, great girl, love her? It's not who she is. Yeah, it's uh, it just it, nobody gets booed in Vancouver, and she found a way to get booed in, in Vancouver. So, yeah, that's probably Can what's I say, happening. Yes, I respect the tweet so much. She's going to get a I lot of shit from a lot of people, and I <laughs> understand it. And I'm not telling you you're wrong to feel that way, but you got to live your truth, even if your truth is objectively dumb. And I don't know. I personally believe that Juliana Pena is not in on the joke. Because everything I've ever seen from her makes me think that she just honestly believes these things and doesn't doesn't get it. And uh, frankly, I love that even more. I love that she just comes out immediately after the goat retires. A woman who put a fifty forty three on her ass the last time they fought. I scared you so bad into retirement. Congratulations, but professionally. WTF with that? Like that is an A plus tweet, <laughs> just total disregard of reality. And I'm so here for it. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Incredible. This is the best. Speaking, of inc- speaking of incredible, Charles Oliveira. Talk about incredible. Holy Man smokes. can fight, huh? <laughs> that dude, I mean, the way his striking has evolved, that dude just is so violent on the feet now. That fight with Benil Dariush had some interesting scrambles on the ground. We wanted to see what would happen if they got to the ground. Looked like Benil Dariush was going to do some work up top. He was landing some good shots, and Oliveira was able to get back up to his feet. And it just seemed like Benil Dariush was like, damn it. In a way, and Oliver just took advantage of it. Oliver landed a big shot early. He was landed a big high kick. They were chucking him for a little bit. Darius got it to where he wanted it. He got it up against the cage, was able to get the takedown. I know you talked a lot about the clinch work, and you thought Darius would have some success there. He did. And then it got back up. Oliver ends up finishing Benil Darius, those hammer fists at the end. You saw Darius's head just bounce up and down off the canvas. Unbelievable stuff from Charles Oliveira. So, What's a bigger takeaway for, for you, Jed? Wow, Charles Oliveira is just incredible, or 
Poor Benil Dariush. I'm going positive here. I'm going Charles Oliveira is incredible. I definitely feel the latter. Uh, this really sucks for Benil Dariush. That's not my biggest negative takeaway from this fight. I'll get to that in a minute. But I don't. I think if you look at this fight and your first instinct isn't, man, look at Charles Oliveira. You're probably doing it wrong because I have never been the world's biggest Charles Oliveira guy. Not that I have disliked him ever. I just don't think he's the best lightweight in the world, and I didn't for a long time. And I feel like that's correct but he's undeniably one of the most exciting fighters uh of all time one of the best and most exciting lightweights ever and this was a fight that i thought could be tough for him uh casey and i talked about it a little bit in the post-fight presser i i picked benil dariush i picked him under the assumption that charles Oliveira was just going to consent to a grappling match because he does it so often on the feet i knew he could hurt benil dariush but benny's proven really durable Charles also gets hurt on the feet, you know, is hittable there, and Benny does hit hard. And I mostly was just like, at some point, rubber is going to meet the road, and Benny's, Benny's going to be durable enough on the feet, and this fight's going to go to the ground because Oliveira will consent to it, and he's just going to get run over there. And for about three and a half minutes, it felt really good because that was largely what was happening. Uh, Oliveira sort of pull guard, sort of tripped and fell into it. And Benny just kind of beat him up. And Charles did some stuff, but none of it was really substantive. And Benny just kept winning. Uh, the thing I didn't factor in, the thing we talked about, Casey and I talked about, is I didn't give Charles Oliveira enough credit for recognizing the bad and adjusting because you see it so rarely in mma just in general people are just going to do the thing that they think that they're good at and not adjust according to how the fight around them is playing out we saw it a little bit when charles Oliver fought islam makachev he went to the ground early in that fight similar situation it went poorly for him and the rest of that fight he avoided the takedowns as best he could he stopped consenting to the overhook and guard game and started trying to keep upright against islam now he got clipped with a left hand got finished except you know that's how that went but it wasn't i'm gonna keep playing the guard game we saw that here benil dariush after they stood up charles charles changed it changed momentum changed motion he started bringing the fight really to him and very quickly after that put him down and I didn't give him enough credit for that, certainly. And I think that that's, a, one, a great testament to his ability, his skills, sort of his understanding of fighting. And two, uh, he's just dope. And so he he booped him right in the face, and that was the end of it. And it was really, really cool. And so my overwhelming takeaway is always going to be, that was really, really cool. Charles Oliver is a bad, bad man. So one of the things we talked about during the watch party, and I asked Shaheen this, is what's Dana White going to say when he's asked about Oliveira, is he going to get a rematch? And Dana pretty much said, let's not play games. This is the fight that should happen. And gosh darn it, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm excited to see it. So you you were very confident Islam Makachev was going to beat Charles Oliveira almost in the exact way that it happened. And as a man who has been the driver of the Islam Makachev train for a long, long time. Are you excited to see this rematch? Because it appears that if Oliveira can bounce back and make it to October in Abu Dhabi, this seems to be the fight that they're going to make. I'm not, but I'm not, I'm not upset about it, um, which is a bit of a change. So I will say the Oliveira Islam fight was one of my better calls in recent years. I had that one nailed all the way. And I don't think anything substantively changed here. Um, maybe in that fight, Oliveira will not even play the guard game at all because the first time he learned that lesson is like, can't do it. I've just got to try and put the pressure on him and hit this dude. I, all of the same problems still exist. He cannot grapple with Islam. He's going to lose those exchanges. And on the feet, yes, he hits really hard. Islam is like one of the most effective defensive fighters in the history of mixed martial arts. He simply does not get hit. And as both he and Alexander Volkanovsky found out to their detriment, dude's actually an incredibly effective kickboxer. It ain't the prettiest. Not here to tell you he is. He can go in and you know fight Superbon or something like that. But he's super effective. He knows what he's doing on the feet, and he has a great feel for it in a way that makes him super dangerous. And that's that's just not going to change. Uh, so I ultimately think that fight's going to play out pretty similarly. Like it's just not going to ever be that different. I think it's a really really bad matchup for Charles, but I'm more okay with it now because I do think it's going to happen. 
and it's fine. One of my main issues with it is I don't want I, I don't know how many title defenses or title fights we have left with Islam. He strikes me as a guy who, like Habib, is probably not going to hang around for five, six, seven years. Uh, and so I'm a little reticent to just have him running rematches over and over again when you're the lightweight champion and this division kicks so much ass. But Charles Oliveira is one of the most exciting fighters of all time. Charles Oliveira is one of the best lightweights of all time. And this timeline works out, and there's simply no other options for Islam at this moment in time. Uh, I personally have limited interest in the Alexander Volkanovsky rematch. I know many other people don't feel that way, but I just want Volkanovsky to fight at featherweight because he's possibly the best featherweight ever, and I'd like to see him just keep being that. Uh, and Poria Gaethje, the winner of that makes more sense in a lot of ways. The timeline doesn't work. Those two dudes are going to beat the souls out of each other. There's no way they're turning around to fight in Abu Dhabi. Charles Oliveira is really the only guy other than, I know you threw out Michael Chandler as sort of a long shot, and I can see that, but I think it's just Charles Oliveira. And so kind of okay with it. I'll just get to watch two of the best, like the two best lightweights in the world get after it. And who can be upset watching that? There's a lot of discussion about what was at stake for Benil Dariush. Like one of the questions I that were po was posed to me on Heck of a Morning that I used to like headline one of the episodes was, is this do or die for Benil Dariush's title hopes? And look, I feel like it is like, could there, is there a world where like there's injuries and there's short notice stuff and someone falls out 10 days before a fight and Benny's like, all right, I'm in. And he's the only guy available. Sure. That could happen. But chant one to 10, what are the chances that Benil can get back to this position and find his way in a title fight? Because he put it all to me, he put it all on the line tonight. Like everything was on the line. This was sort of, all or nothing. And I respect the hell out of him for, for taking this fight and, and putting it all on the line. But this obviously did not go very well for him. That long winning streak comes to an end. Where does he go from here? Oh, he's boned. Two. I won't say it's zero because uh, he's still very good. And he's largely been a company man. So the UFC will, you know, do him some favors. Not anything huge, but... Do him some. The problem is lightweight's impossible. It's it's just simply an impossible division to get a title fight in. You have to do something extraordinary to and and be extraordinary for such a long period of time. Look at him. He just put together eight wins over good, good opposition and couldn't get one. And he's not the first dude in lightweight history to have that problem. It is constant in this weight class. Hafil Faziv put together a number of great wins and then Justin Gaethje had a good night and that's it. Like it's it is simply an impossible task to work through the maze of lightweight and get to the top of the top of the table. And if you are not a star, it it limits your opportunities. If you are not a guy who is going to put butts in seats and make the UFC really invested in giving you as many opportunities as possible, you're going to have a longer road back and like in the most generous scenario, Benil Dariush has to win two more fights over like top five dudes. And those dudes aren't going to fight him anyway. Like Dustin Poirier already was like, I'm not going to fight that dude. <laughs> and like, that sucks for Benny, but that's just the world. <laughs> like, like this was his one top five guy who was willing to fight him. He is going to have to fight back against like Armand Sarukian or <laughs> some shit like that. And I don't like, it's going to be a nightmare. Uh, I think Benil Dariush is really good. I think that, and I, I said this before, not to take anything away from him, his run was was helpful. He had some matchups that were pretty good with what he can do and managed to sort of avoid some of the worst trip guys he could face. Namely, dudes who can hit real hard but aren't like mid-fighters. Because, you know, Drakkar Close is a good guy. I'm not here to say he's not a good guy. Jakar close to top 30 lightweight and hit hard and tagged him in a way that was really dangerous. That is a whole world different than the Charles Oliveira's, the Dustin Poirier's, the Justin Gaethje's putting the mitts on you. And Benny Denver really had to face that guy. That's not Matush Gamrot's game or whatever. So I think a lot of the top five guys at lightweight are also statistical pro like problems for him with what they do stylistically and how they approach the game. So it's very, very unlikely that he gets back there. I won't put it at zero, but one to two. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. So 
Oliveira Darius too, or, or uh, not Oliveira Darius too, uh, Makachev Oliveira too, looking like it's going to go down in October. Mike Malott, great finish of Adam Fugit. Gets a Canadian crowd, just ruckus. Nobody was sitting down. It was crazy. 6-0 and for Canada. Danny Gay, great win over Nate Landwehr. Marc-Andre Berriot, hashtag chat GPT bet, beats Eric Anders. We obviously had the unfortunate ending to the Nasruddin Imovov Chris Curtis fight. Imovov was looking really good. Curtis was starting to flow a little bit. Jasmine Jazz Davizias looked good. Eamon Ariel Hawani Zahabi with a quick knockout of Arichi Lang. Kyle Nelson with a big upset win. Steve Ursig with an upset win. Deanna Belbita kicked off the card with a decision win against Maria Oliveira. What was the biggest takeaway from you outside of the main storylines, Jed? What what stood out the most from you? If if someone just came up to you and said, outside of the main event and the co-main event, who impressed you the most? What what will you take away the most from this card? What would you say? Oh, that's a good question. I think there are two acceptable answers. I'm going to go with the obvious one. Low-hanging fruit, but uh, Mike Malott might be a star, man. Uh, I don't know how good he can be because I don't know how good he can be. He's already 31. Um, he's looked impressive in the UFC, but the level of opposition has not been super high. Uh, but they gave him an opportunity tonight. Big prime placement on a Canadian card. And he delivered with his performance. He delivered with his post-fight speech. I was not watching the the um, the watch party because I was working. But I suspect that you and Connor very much enjoyed Mike Mollett's work on the mic because it was excellent. You know, uh, rout, you know getting the crowd all riled up, uh, really playing the hits for Canada. It was great. Love that he walked out to some 41. Thought that was very Canadian as well of him. So I think the biggest thing to think about from this fight is the reaction he got in Vancouver and his performance. If he can back this up against an increasing level of opposition, which I genuinely have no idea if he can or not, then they've got some. I don't think he's going to fight for a title. I don't think he's probably even going to crack the top 10. But if he can just make his way into the top 15, that's that's a huge win for him and for the UFC because this kid has got a little bit on him and and it would be lovely to see that continue. Yeah, great performance. Jazz and Jazzavizius impressed the hell out of me too. That was a, a great win against Marina Maverick. She looked fantastic. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw out my Aunt No Wild card pick right now. Molly McCann's about to fight Julia Stoli Ranko. I want to see Jasmine fight Molly McCann. Let's get her over outside of Canada. Like, let's just see what happens there. Molly wins. She'll get a reaction. They're just just going to get in there and they're going to get in there and get after it. And that's just a fun fight. That was the fight I wanted to see anyways. But if Molly goes out there and beats Dolyaranko and gets back on track, we'll just chuck those two in there together. There's, there's no doubt that's going to be fun. Do it at MSG. That's a great fight. Just let them get in there and and scrap it up. So don't do it at MSG. Molly McCann should never fight not in England. Yeah, you just got her and Patty should never not fight in England, just always in England. It is unbelievable. The scenes are unbelievable. The same way Stipe should never not fight in Cleveland. I mean, if they go back again later on this year, sure, I'm I'm with you on that one. But if she goes out there and just melts Stolyarenko, are you just going to bench her for the rest of the year when she wants to fight? I think think they're definitely going back this, this year. I think they do. I think London is now a two to three times a year rotation for them. Or maybe, maybe not London. Maybe they also mix in Birmingham. England is a two to three time rotation, I think, for them this now. Yeah, this will be the second trip. So I, I don't know if they the schedule's filling up, and they're already going back to Brazil. They're going all different places. So maybe they go back in March again. Maybe it's just kind of a March July thing. But I don't know if okay. you can bench Molly for that long. But we'll see. Either way, I would like to see those two women fight each other next. If uh, Molly McCann can get the win, let's bring in EK. It's a great matchup. Can we very briefly, I, Casey can certainly be here. The other the other takeaway that I just want to throw out, because not a single person is going to talk about this, and that's fine. Not Don't necessarily need to. Shouts to Steven Ersig, man. Uh, yeah. making, your, making your UFC debut on short notice against the top 10 guy. We can quibble about David Dvorak and whether he should have been a top you know 10 UFC ranked flyweight, but he was. And that's not entirely without merit. And Steven Ersig came out here and was just like, hey, by the way, I'd like to be one of the top 10 flyweights in the world. And great performance. We'll get no love, and that's okay. I, I see you, Steven Ersig. I see you. Hey, you got 50K. So good on him. The rare 50K for just Gorgeous. a fight. Didn't get a finish, just a fight. Yeah. 
I thought, all right, I mean, look, he, the man went out and won. He looked impressive. Second and third round, real good. I thought you were going to give him a little bit of crap, Jed, for the, uh, for the gilly jump. But- I mean, look, it was horrible. It was one of the worst things that happened on this card. But, um, you know, he still got the W. If that had cost him the win, which, like, it really could have, uh, then he would be the big loser of this entire fight. But it didn't. He ended up getting the W on the cards. Uh, never jump a gilly when you have a dude hurt, because uh, that's real dumb, apparently, unless you're Mike Malott, because uh, he made it work. But if you're not Mike Malott, or I guess Dustin Poirier, don't do it. Fair enough. Casey, real quick before we get to a few fan questions, is Amanda Nunez number one right now? <sighs> She makes such a dang good argument. Um, <laughs> it's real hard to deny yeah, her, man. It's really, it's really hard. I, and I guess it's because I was there in the arena. I was, I, I was there. I was literally there cage side for two of her losses. I was there cage side, and this is a while back, obviously. But still, she was a professional fighter fighting, you know, other name fighters. I was there when she lost to Alexis Davis. I was there when she lost to Sarah Diallo. I was at the venue when she lost to Kat Zingano. So, like, I've seen, I've just seen Amanda Nunes on her worst nights. And that's kind of why I always just have issues. I mean, that'll that. affect like, you. Were you yeah. ever cage side for any of her good wins? Not because if not, then I'm totally seeing it. Like, yeah, I totally not, get not, it. Not if cage. your only in person experiences are yeah. negatives, that makes a yeah. ton of sense. Yeah, when, when, I, when I was there, I mean, I, of course, I've watched all their fights, but yeah, being actually at the venue, I, and I okay, I love Manny News, but I was at I was I was at Invicta when she got uh wrestle effed by Sarah D'Elio and she lost a 30 27. And I saw her backstage almost scre- not screaming, but very passionately kind of complaining. He's like, this girl didn't want to fight me, you know? And I was just like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta get up, you know? But I, I'm never, I'm not gonna, it's not a battle. I will fight ever. If someone goes, she's the goat. That's yeah. basically it. I'm just not. A, I, okay. Yeah. It's that's, not a battle. I will that's fight. <laughs> exactly where I am with John Jones at this point. I'm like, I don't in my heart of hearts buy it, but it's just not worth the bandwidth to fight it. Like it, I, it, I can't say you're wrong, even though I don't believe it. There's a it's good fair. case, but you know <laughs> what? Real man, good case. If you want, if you want to call yourself the goat, and Manny Nunes, this is how you go out. You go out in a victory like this. You go out in a post-fight press conference where you just say, "Oh, by the way, whoever wins that belt next, it's a fake belt forever." <laughs> you know, it's like. I'm like, wow. she's gonna, she's gonna dunk Juliana Pena to the center of the <laughs> earth for the next like thirty years. It's gonna be some real Joe Frazier Ali stuff. We're just like, she'll be sixty, and someone will talk to her, and she'll just be like, "Man, f that girl." <laughs> I love it so much. I love her <laughs> contempt for Juliana Pena, the person. Yep, she didn't retire out of spite, and then yeah. she retired kind of out of spite, and it's all. Uh, there's definitely a piece yeah. of it. I think there's <laughs> definitely a piece. If you fought Juliana, would you retire? <laughs> no, heavens, no! I wouldn't let Juliana Pena be my last fight. No, fight no. somebody else. I want to fight a real opponent, like Arena Donna. That that is a real opponent. Yeah. Uh, masterclass the all best. around, the best. But but that, that actually it goes back to back to my Nunez not being the goat. It's like, I, she lost Julia Pena. <laughs> it's like, she lost Look, Julia Pena. That's, that's your best argument. In the, <laughs> Amanda Nunes is not the goat. She lost to Julia Pena is by far the best argument. She finished in one of, the, one of the ugliest rear naked chokes I've ever seen. Like, I was just. That was, that was an exhaustion. I, I, I know, I know, I know. It's I know, fine, but yeah. I know, but, but you know no. what I'm saying. Losing but, uh, to Juliana Pena is, yeah. is a disqualifying finish, thing in a lot of finished, ways. Yeah. And it, uh, but she, she, she redeemed herself with just that, just that one gif I see all the time of Julia Pena running and she gets clocked and does that. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> but, um, man, happy trails, Amanda Nunes. Happy trails. That's um, yes. what a good mean, exit. Good exit. Good exit. A sp- a sport that has no good exits, and we've gotten a couple recently, yeah. and that's a good one. Moms, moms, <laughs> yep, undefeated, <laughs> can't beat them, cannot beat moms. All right, hold on one second. Two goats defeated only by their mothers. 
All right, what do we got here? Uh, tell me. <laughs> uh, here we go. At least we don't have to talk about like robberies and bad score. Oh, I was, I was, I saw, I saw a lot of Chris Lee. I saw a lot of Chris Lee judging tonight, so I was really worried. But luckily, this outside of this, outside of the stadium falling apart while Mike Malott was walking out, seemed a a pretty uh, uh, drama free uh, uh, evening. Everything was pretty set. Did Benio have to put up his title shot because this card sucked? Will the winner of Dustin versus Justin two get the title shot? I mean, if. If we recall, this fight was supposed to happen last month, and Dar- uh, Oliveira had a had an injury, so they rebooked it for this card. That's they just shuffled it, so it made it made better but, sense to be on this card. I get it. it but this also, card yes. needed it more. <laughs> also, yes, the, he Benil didn't need to fight to get a title shot. He was the most deserving guy, but the UFC wanted him to, and in part, they probably wanted him to because you know they need some extra juice in fights. So they shot for it. But yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, if Benil sat out, he wasn't getting a title shot. He was going to have to win another fight. And he made that very clear in all of his media that he did. Uh, will the winner of Dustin, Justin, two get the title shot? They will probably they will, get a title shot. They will probably get the winner of, they'll get the winner of Islam versus Oliveira. Nailed it. They will get a title shot. It won't be the next one. There's no way they're going to be able to turn around in two and a half months to fight Islam after they fight each other. There's just no way. Unless there's like some super nutty KO, which seems extremely unlikely given these two men. No, I think it's more likely that something happens to make that fight fall apart in the next, you know, six weeks or something. Uh, And if that happens, I mean, that fight card is a catastrophe. uh, If that fight falls off as far as needing something to main event it. But if something knock on wood, don't want it to happen, happen to Justin Gaethje, I think the UFC could and should be like, hey, Dustin, we would like to give you a title fight against Islam Mahachev. Uh, we'll figure something else out for 291. Is that 291 or 292 that that's the... 291. The, 291. We'll figure something else out for the main event there. Instead of fighting for the BMF belt, why don't you fight for the lightweight title? Right. They'll do Great. Bala Muhammad versus Shafqat Rahmana for the interim welterweight title. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in for I'm it. For be that. Dope. Yeah, I would love that. Let's rock I'm, that. That's a serious answer, by the way. Yeah, yeah let's rock no that, man. That. I have no issue with that. Uh, Tristan, why do you think it's so hard for the UFC to find women fighters at 135 on the regional scene to bring in? Is it really that scarce? I mean, yeah, kind of, it kind of is. It's just hard to find. And like the, the big thing is the, the, there are women now who understand that this division is, especially in the Bellator doesn't have a women's 135 as of right now. Um, I know Liz Carmouche is and, and others were hoping to get a 135 in there at some point, and maybe that'll happen. I could see them doing it. PFL doesn't have a women's 135 right now, if memory serves me correctly. There's just one place to have a 135 division. And the ones that are like bright spots around the globe and regionally are like three and O or four and O or five and O. Like if you see the recent signings that the UFC have made, these are, they're not experienced fighters. They're five and O four and O, et cetera. So I think they're around, but they're just green. They're just green. So you have to take risks. Some of them will have to fight on the contender series. Some will get their shot, but you'll see a lot of that talent be international. Like Melissa Dixon, for example, she could fight in London. She could fight in Paris. She's so, I mean, like those Shauna Bannon, another one that they signed, she's going to be fighting on that London card, I believe. So there you go. I mean, it's, it is, it is that scarce, but it's Wait, getting, did they, it's they signed Melissa Dixon. Did they sign Melissa Dixon? They did. Oh, I had no idea. I also want to just be clear on that. Uh, one, Melissa Dixon started her make career like a year and a half ago. <laughs> so it's like, here's the thing. There really just aren't, there just aren't the bodies. Like this is not a definitive thing. Go look at the topology for women's band and weights. One, you're going to see a lot of flyweights in the top 50. And as you get down that list, like the top 20 are all in the UFC. And as you get past it, it's like, here's a seven and seven fighter. And that's a good resume for some of these people. The rest of it's like two and oh, three and oh, hey, there just aren't, they're just, they're, it's not a weight class they built. Um, it, it's a weight class that probably will not occur super organically because 
in general, very broad stroke language here, women are going to be less um, drawn to combat sports because that's sort of just how that has worked the world over. Uh, and so you're going to have to like actively try to recruit from places from women collegiate wrestling ranks or, or so, you know, women's grappling to do it. And instead they're not. And God love Invicta who was kind of doing stuff like that. They're not offering money that is yeah. going to make somebody say, Hey, I have a college degree that I got cause I was a women's wrestler and I can go make four and four and do this thing that is hard and sucks and has such a minimal payoff. And the best I can hope for is to maybe make it to the UFC one day where I'll make 10 and 10, or I can go be an accountant and not get punched in the face. And I can just grapple at my gym on the weekends or whatever. Like that's, you're going to have to lay a groundwork to do this because it is clearly not an organic developing division in this, at this point in time. I, I have to, yeah, it's, this is a great question because I honestly don't know what happened worldwide, at least nationwide, to 135 pound women. Um, I know. You, I know. They all went to 125 when that yeah, became a real I mean, weight class. We all said that know. coming in. We we're like, 125 is going to be dope when they make it because all the the two big flyweights are going to or two big strawweights are going to move up, and then like half of the bantamweights are going to drop down, and then they did it. They did, and that's where we're yeah. at. It's yeah, sure. and like yeah, and and there's just there's just no, and like I think the money part is a very significant part of this equation too. How many women at 135 pounds make a living, a nice middle class living, off their fight purses? Twelve. Just so, like twelve. That many? If oh, that, wow. uh, yeah, that, that might have been high. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, mean, that's, that's, that's I, I was going high. like maybe five. That honestly make a, a a reliable living. Just doing that. It's just it's just incredibly hard. At the gym I train at, I mean, I think there's about seven, eight women, and all of them are twenty five and under. One twenty well, so, five and under. Like there's and like no thirty five. That's that's the big thing too on the other end of it. Because look, I this is I am not a scientist, but just anecdotally, all the all the female athletes I have known in my life. And when I was training at the gym, we didn't have anybody that weighed over like 135 pounds just walking around weight. Like that, it, it, they, they just, women athletes are not that heavy by and large. Like it's just not, in, in some ways, it's probably because the various sports where women frequently compete, size is not like a huge advantage in those like outside of volleyball or basketball yeah. and then you're playing basketball because that's a better path forward than yeah, fist they, fighting people if you're good at it so it's not like it's not like there's a pool of uh 180 pound dudes who you know couldn't make it in football because they were 180 pounds and that's not good enough at the collegiate ranks so they're going to do something else it's just not there you're gonna have to develop it if you want this to to grow it's not going to happen organically Yep. yep. What else we got? If Valentina's career lasts long enough, do y'all think Valentina could go? Could do maybe? I think it's maybe could do a title run at bantamweight that rivals Rousey. So not great fighters, but solid fighters. No. <sighs> yeah, she can't. Why? She's not. Yeah, I love I love Valentina Shevchenko. She's very definitively on the downside of her career. I believe she has a really good opportunity to win the bantamweight belt right now. Uh, I, I would not that, have any issue yeah. picking her to beat any of the women that are soon to be competing for it. But I, she, she's been fighting for 20 years. The body simply, I mean, listen to what Amanda Nunes said after that. Like she didn't say it as directly as I'm going to say it, but she's basically like, I'm retiring cause there ain't nobody else to beat. And my body is already unhappy with me. Like it's, and she has not been fighting for nearly as long as Valentina Shevchenko. You just can't do it forever. Just way too hard. She can't put on an extended run. She can win the belt, and I think she should totally try and do that. Frankly, she should probably not even <laughs> go fight Alexa Grasso. She's like, "Peace, I'm going to 135 now, guys." I was but, when I saw this. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, screw the rematch. Just take the 35 belt. It's right there. Shevchenko versus Pena. Is that a, that's a rematch, right? Then they fight. Yeah. Yeah, Shevchenko uh, should have tapped her off her back. It was sick. If Shevchenko yeah. just called up Dana right now and was like, hey, you can just let Aaron Blanchfield go get the flyweight belt. I'm cool with it. Uh, I'm just going to go to 135. Can I fight Pena for the title? 
Can we do, or, you know, Pennington for the title? Can we do that? And like, sure, why not? And she would win. She should definitely do that. It would be way better for her to do that. It's a great call. Oh, this one, this one's for you, heck. The first round of Anders Burial was not middleweighty, but the rest of the fight was. I still have Brendan Allen as the middleweightiest middleweight. Should Barrio fight him for the title now? Yeah, the, the, we were talking about that a lot during the actual <laughs> fight. About like maybe this fight would actually crown the new middleweightiest middleweight champion. Of all those groin but, shots, I was like, eh, it's happening. <laughs> well, there's only one actual groin shot. The first one I didn't think landed. I only saw one replay, but it looked like it got him on like the upper thigh, but not on the cup. The second which one was, make, which gnarly. makes it even more middleweighted. The fact that it wasn't a groin shot, but we still got a groin shot stoppage. <laughs> yeah, Jaren, Jaren Vallel is the only guy who should be refing middleweighty middleweight fights <laughs> for this exact reason. So uh, I, I'm still, I, I still have Brendan Allen as the middleweightiest middleweight as of right now because of the title he holds so dearly. But if he goes out there and just wins another fight, another two fights, and he gets up to like the top five, maybe he doesn't have the title anymore. I don't know. It's a it's a title that's going to shift around <laughs> all the time. I see. I think that you're mistaken. I believe we have a new middleweight, middleweight, and it's Chris Curtis. Because what is this division but a cursed division? And what is Chris Curtis but a cursed man? So I think he's taking that title from me. Yeah. Kyle Baraglio is a really good case to be the middleweightiest middleweight champion, though. He just got a finish, though. He did. You can't, can't be getting finishes and be a middleweighty guy. It's just not. Who's the dude that um who's the dude that just beat uh Cheedy? Duraev. Duraev is a oh, very strong case. Duraev is very middleweighty. I think he needs a, a couple more to really establish his claim, but he's a very middleweighty dude. I mean, if you turn Cheedy into a middleweighty middleweight, like you have to be like in the top three to five to turn that guy into a middleweighty middleweight. So the conversation will continue. Uh, we've, we didn't talk about this fight at all or this gentleman, but here we go. Can Danny Gay be more than a gatekeeper? The dude seems like he is getting better. <sighs> what do you think about this one, Jed? No. I'll, I'll go to you first. Can he be more than a gatekeeper? He cannot. I do think he's getting better. Um, and he's still like young. Um, he's only 31, so that's pretty helpful for him uh, in that regard. And he doesn't have like that many fight years. Uh, I guess actually, so here's the question for me to this question. What do we mean by gatekeeper? Because here's the thing. There are a lot of gatekeepers. There's a gatekeeper to the top 25, and there's a gatekeeper to the top 15, and there's a gatekeeper to the stars. Like He's never going to be a title challenger. If he high-rolled the remainder of his career, I could see him catching the right breaks and maybe fighting for a belt in the same way that like Josh Emmett fought for an interim title. And Josh Emmett, I don't think, is like a great fighter. Uh, like Plenty of solid but not great dudes have found a way to the belt. Danny Gay could find himself as one of those. But he is always going to be the gatekeeper to something. He is, you know, he, he can elevate from being the gatekeeper to the top like... 10, which is probably where he is right now, uh, to being the gatekeeper to the top five. But I don't think he's beating Arnold Allen. I don't think he's beating Max Holloway or Yair Rodriguez or <laughs> Alexander Volkanovsky. He's just a really good fighter, but not a not an all-time elite fighter. And that's way better than most people in the world at their jobs. Oh. If you told me right now that I was like the 13th best writer in the world i'm like getting sick that you get it all the ass i won i am better than everyone but 13 people and instead because this is sports where it's like what a bum what a what a loser he's like no he's one of the 15 best people in the world at his job it's amazing as totally we should celebrate that so Danny Gay is 31 years old. He's had 14 fights in the UFC. He's nine and five. Can Dan Ige become the Jim Miller at featherweight or the featherweight Jim Miller? He said how many fights in the UFC? 14. I know that's not Jim. <laughs> no, he can't. Well, and he's well, going to have to up that volume a lot. <laughs> well, in the sense that we don't ever see him fight for a title. He's going to beat guys like 
Nate Lanoir. Oh, in that sense, yeah. In that sense, like, like yeah, he sure. won't. That's what kind of he'll be around till he's forty. You know, um, I don't know. Just there's got to be a Jim Miller for every weight class, so I'm just kind of oh for sure. Give him, you know, he'll be around for yeah. a while. Doesn't 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 cost him a lot of money. Doesn't cost UFC a lot of money to pay him. You know, it doesn't really company man. Doesn't Dude. not really great in the mic, but you know, says enough. Dude, he's just he's like a Vulcan Ozdemir guy. He's a better fighter than Volkan Ozdemir, but he's just a dude. If he gets a couple of good breaks, so he can maybe fight for a belt, but more likely he's just going to hang somewhere between 8 and 12 for the totality of his career, which is an incredible achievement. It should be celebrated. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think he's like... I mean, I, obviously this didn't age gracefully like over the last couple of years. He did have a win after, but he's going to be like the Hafiola Sunso of this division, where he's the... Not necessarily oh, a great gatekeeper. Comp. No, that's a great like comp. A, yeah, a litmus test. He's the litmus test. Like if there's a if there's a Nate Laneware or a, a Damon Jackson who's on a nice run, and we're like, hmm, maybe he's a top fifteen guy, maybe he's a top ten guy. I'm not really sure. Let's throw him in there with Danny Gay and find out. Like that's kind of what he's going to be. I, I think at this point, after beating Damon Jackson and after beating a Nate Laneware, he should probably get some sort of step up against a guy. But I mean, we've seen him fight yeah. the Emmets and the Caters, and he was competitive with all of them. He just yeah, he lost decisions. So yeah, he he just, like, yeah. I will yeah. say <laughs> two two things. One, he definitely deserves a step up. He's defended his position twice. You got to let this man make a make an attempt to move forward again. The thing in his corner for this is it's not common. It is certainly uncommon, but there is a history of people in his exact circumstance. Things break and right. They they advance. They develop things. They something clicks for them. You know, Rafael dos Anjos prior to his UFC lightweight title run was this dude. Like he got ethered by Jeremy Stevens and was just like, yeah, he's just going to be a really good guy that doesn't get there. Uh, Jan Blahovich, if you had told me in twenty like eighteen or whatever or twenty fifteen that Jan Blahovich was going to be the light heavyweight champion of the world, I would have laughed in your face. Like there are guys who have done this. It's just that for every one of the Jan Blahovich or Glover Teixeira, the guys who they're good but not great. You have a ton of Rafael Asuncao's and you know Josh Emmett's or whatever guys who just aren't really going to get there. But it is possible, and he's still young enough and developing. Maybe he can do it. I think Giga Chikadze is the fight because then you get to you get to do both things at once. You get to test the new shiny toy, if you will, to see if this guy's really that good. We tried it with Calvin Cater, didn't really work. Was he able to improve? Can he beat a Danny Gay? And for Ige, it's a step up, gets a top 10 guy, gets the number eight guy in the division. So I like that idea. I also like the Brian Ortega idea. Like if Brian's going to come back and fight, like Danny Ige is a big, pretty good big step each up. Other. It's a big step up, but there's talks about like Giga Chikaz is out here saying the UFC wants him to fight Brian Ortega. Like I would rather see Danny Ige get that shot. If we're being honest, I, or just have Ige fight oh, Giga. I'm I agree. I agree in concept, but uh, from the UFC's ranking, Giga's eight and Ortega's three, whereas they have Ige at thirteen. So thirteen to three is a major leap in their rankings. No, nah, I get it. Yeah, so just do the Giga fight. I think that one makes sense. I think Giga. I think Giga's a nail, and that's it. Are they both um, Ali fighters? No, is Ige an Ali? No. Fighter? Oh, okay. Mm, no. No. Okay. I think he's worked with like Ali, like kind of helped him out with some of the management he's stuff not, yeah. in the past. He's not but he's not like ma- he's not managed by Ali, no. Okay, yeah, I remember that. All right. Um <laughs> why didn't you guys suggest the Canadian parlay? I would have made a lot. <laughs> that that has been a big regret from Ariel on the watch party. There's a big regret from GC <laughs> on the watch party. Everyone's I didn't do it. I didn't do it for a very specific reason. This thing's never hit like I mean, you can gen. I do think there is generally some favor for hometown fighters um, because they're more amped up. But like, you're asking to go what four for four, five for five, whatever that number was, uh, and some of them looked like bad matchups. So that's just. It seemed really likely that three of them would hit, and the, and then it would die. It's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. That was wrong. Super wrong. Candace showed out. It'll be a fun, sure yeah. It's a, it's a fun one. To throw five bucks on. One just uh, Defi- yeah. definitely a fun one to just chuck some cash on, though. Yeah, 
Yeah, good uh, crowd. Everything about it was 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 just really fun. Uh, we'll take one more. Give me one more because uh, four a.m. Eastern here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still have a ton to do. <laughs> you know what? I don't, I don't see very much. I got I got people asking questions about John Jones or other stuff, but nothing really about tonight's card. I think we're good. We'll save that stuff for like BTL or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll plenty we'll have plenty to talk about this week. Um, if you have questions you about saw- John Jones. Tweet them at me because I need stuff for Monday's hot tweets. So send me any questions you have and I'll answer stuff that doesn't suck on hot tweets on Monday. <laughs> there you go. Um, by the way, if you guys didn't watch the watch party, Ariel broke some news on the watch party uh, in studio Monday on the MA hour. The UFC middleweight champion of the world, Israel Adesanya. How about oh. that? Oh, wait, 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 wait do yeah. it again. In st- in studio this Monday on the MMA Hour, Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion of the world. What are, what are we talking about? Yeah. Prime? We're just going to talk about Prime, being a Prime athlete. No. He's supposed to fight in September. What's going to happen? Who's he fighting? Who's he? Who's he going to fight? Who's he going to fight, Mike? The one guy he's supposed to fight. They did a f- promo for who he's fighting next month. I don't know who the hell he's going to fight. Maybe he fights Jamal Hill. Because who the hell is Jamal, Jamal Hill going to fight? I don't know. I mean, I would, I would I watch what the that. Going I, would, on. I would, I would honestly support the hell out of that fight. Let's do that. That seems like a good booking. All right, all right, guys, I'm hitting the music. All right, hit the music. Boom, hit it. All right, we're done. Uh, AK and I will have an on to the next one tomorrow. We're recording it in like four hours, but it's not going to be live. We're doing a podcast version. <laughs> Early flight tomorrow. I don't have a ton of time, so we're going to give you a show. It's just not going to be live. So, thank you all very much. Appreciate you. Uh, there's still combat sports tomorrow too. Floyd Mayweather is boxing John Gotti the third. That's happening. Hector Lombard on that card is having a bare knuckle fight. I mean, I guess that's combat why. sports. Yeah, things are gonna happen, but I don't know. But we'll have a lot more to talk about the aftermath of UFC 289 throughout the week. But thank you for joining us, everybody. For Casey, for Jed, I am Mike Heck. Good night. Or good morning, depending on where you're at. Love y'all. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.